We ponder the cross of Jesus Christ. Uh, may we not go out and be the same. May we be sobered by it. May we also be thankful. And may we go out and rejoice. But Lord, I pray as we open your word, as we contemplate the cross, that you will be glorified. Perhaps this evening there's one who has never put their trust in you. I pray tonight that they will realize they are sinners in need of the only true Savior, that is Jesus Christ. Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit will move in great and in powerful ways, Lord, this evening through your word. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray and all God's people said, amen. If you would go ahead and have a seat. As I was kind of getting ready for this lesson, actually, I was going back and forth on topics. But one thing that struck me is that, uh, you know, kids think deeply. They think a lot more deeply than we sometimes give them credit for, uh, especially because things are new to them. They're, they're fresh and they think about them hard. Uh, my wife told me the story recently of uh, of my son. They were driving down there on Chapel Road, and you guys know the place of the man who has all those animals out there. And somehow the topic came up, and Elizabeth said, well, they, they raise zebras over there. And then way in the back of our van comes this kind of little but kind of low voice that says, we don't praise zebras. We praise the only one true God. That was Samuel. But what struck me is he was uh, he thought deeply about that. As I got up this morning, as we were around the table and as I actually would read the passage that we're going to read or go through today, just briefly or this evening in Mark 15, 21 through 41, as I read through it. began to read parts of it and began to explain and talk about what the crucifixion was. And I explained how uh, how probably the, when the nails were driven into Jesus's hands, they were probably driven more in his wrist than their hands. And then Hannah pipes up. No, no, it says hands in here. And we try to explain to her. No, you know, it, it's probably talking about that whole region there. And it's most likely. No, no, it says hands in here. This is what you know, this is what I've been taught. And what it hit me again was. Here was another child who is thinking deeply about the cross of Christ. Thinking deeply about the details. And I say this because having been a, a, a believer for 32 years, sometimes I feel as if in my heart that I approach the cross pretty casually. I know the story. I know what he's done for me. I can run down and give you an outline on the top of my head. But it's 
not the place we should be, is it? The cross of Christ is something that we ought to contemplate regularly. It's not just something written in black and white in the Bible. It's something that's real. It ought to move us. Every once in a while, it'll make us cry. And my prayer, my hope for you uh, this evening, and what it has been for me this afternoon, is that uh, it will move you. And that you will contemplate it. I have this picture, it's called the Three Crosses, and it's, it's actually an etching by Rembrandt. And there's actually various uh, versions of this that he's drawn. But, you know, the first thing you come is you see and you see the cross of Christ there in the, in the center and your eyes are drawn to that. And it is it is gloomy for a reason, because it was a gloomy sight. And you can see uh, the criminals that he was in between. And there's the soldiers in there and others hurling insults at him. And but it is said that it, you can go somewhere to the side. And I think it's over there to your left that you can go. And uh, it's said by some critics that uh, Rembrandt actually etched himself in there. I tried to find it and compare the pictures, and I, I'm really not sure. But he said that he put them in there because he felt it was because it was his sins that put cross, Christ on the cross, too. And as I looked at that, I, I thought, and I don't know the content of Rembrandt's faith. I don't know if the man's in heaven or hell. I, I honestly don't know. But at least it spoke to me as here was at least a man who contemplated the cross of Jesus Christ. And so tonight, perhaps could we see ourselves in that picture, too? As we contemplate it, do we see our sins as putting the Jesus on the cross? Let's just look at this passage together. If you have your Bibles open, it's a Mark 15. If not, just just listen. Really, I prefer don't take any notes or anything. Just look at the word. It says there in Mark chapter 15, I actually start in verse 22. Then they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated the place of the skull. They tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divide up his garments among themselves, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour at 9 a.m. when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against them read, the king of the Jews, and they crucified the two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And those which and those passing by were hurling abuse at him and wagging their heads. A gesture of contempt is what that is. And saying, ha. You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross. It's funny that they they say that. Because if you would have come down from the cross, the salvation 
would have never been provided for them, nor for you and I. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes, were mocking him among themselves and saying, he saves others, he cannot save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. And those who were crucified with him were casting the same insults at him. I just want you to put yourself in that situation. I want you to feel the mockery, the insults, the exposure which Christ felt. Just let it sink into you. I mean, you're the creator of the universe. You created all things and you hold all things together by your very word. And he endures the insults from the created. The mockery from the created. One thing, though, I notice here, a lot of this we could go on and elaborate more. But one thing of notice, too, is that while a lot of explanation is given about the things that were being said and the things that were being done, when it comes to actually the physical torments, uh, the actual talking of the cross, not much is said, is it? All that it says is they crucified him. Why, why, wouldn't, why wouldn't the writer, why wouldn't Mark, and I know Mark is a man of action and doesn't give a lot of details, but why wouldn't he give us a little bit more? The reality is he didn't need to. This book, which I believe was written to Rome, when they heard that they crucified him, immediately they would have known the description. Mark needed not write any description at all. The believers in Rome, the unbelievers in Rome, as they heard this story, they would immediately had in their mind the, the imagery and the vision of Christ, Jesus being laying down, thrown down to a, 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 or a horizontal beam. And it would have immediately had the image of one of his hands being taken and put it on that beam. And they would have had the image of a Roman soldier holding up a nail, a thick nail, and putting it in his hand or wrist and taking a ha- hammer And driving it, not just tapping it, but driving it through his arm and into the beam. And then quickly, but also carefully, as to leave just the right amount of space so that the arms would sag in a particular way, would have taken the other arm and repeated the same thing. And then as you can imagine, as your arms are hanging there with nails, then the the beam is lifted up to a vertical beam. And you can imagine the agony and the pain and the ripping and the tearing that would have been going down through the arms as that that horizontal beam is placed and attached to the vertical beam. 
And then they would have taken the foots and they would have taken the other foots and they would have lapped them over atop each other. And they would have taken a big old nail and a big old hammer and they would have taken that and lined it up just right in the, in the foot. And that foot would have driven right through the foot, right through the arch of the foot. And you can imagine the pain that as your nerves, as they would have ran up and down the body. And then as that body would, would sit there and there would hang there, the body would begin to slowly sag down with more weight. And the pain would have shot up from his hands all the way up to his shoulders and up to his neck and into his brain. And it could be an agonizing pain that you and I have probably never really felt. And then as he fought, because in order to breathe, because of the way that they had him sag, it was it was it was it was tough to breathe that he would have to begin to push himself up. Pushing himself up on a nail in order to get his body up to gasp and get air. And I know you've whole heard it before, but I want you to feel it again. And as he did that, just as he felt the agonizing pain in his arms, so the agonizing pain would have gone through the nerves and the tendons and they would have made themselves all the way up his legs. And not just once, but repeatedly. As he had to fight for every breath of air that he could get. And then over time. It would affect the blood and how the blood flowed. And the blood flow would have been more difficult and the heart would begin having pain and problems. And then as he, he would have to push him up himself up and down for several hours. We got to remember that he was also scourged, was he not? And all those wounds on his back were being even more agonizing as he went up and down that. I want us to feel it. And on it went for hours. And as this goes on at the cross, we also know that there are some not only physical agony that's going on, but there's also the spiritual agony that's going on, too. And Mark lays this out for us in several signs and events that we see in this passage. So as Jesus is on that cross, as he's during that physical agony, we see then in verse 33, when the sixth hour, that is 12 noon, came. So he's been on the cross crucified for three hours already. When the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. Imagine that. So Rembrandt, he paints it in a dark way because darkness came over the land. At high noon, darkness came. Why? Well, all throughout the Bible, darkness is often used as a picture of judgment. And so as Christ 
hung on the cross in physical agony for us, judgment was also being poured out upon him. A judgment that he did not deserve, but a judgment that he went to the cross so that you and I would not have to pay. You and all you and I deserve to be judged. It says in Galatians 3:13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. That is Christ, the creator of all things, came for the created and became a curse for us, hung on a tree. So that we would not have to face the judgment that you and I each deserve. It doesn't stop there, as Grant has already mentioned. As you go into verse 34 of Mark 15, at the ninth hour, Jesus uh, cried out with a loud voice. And this is, so this is three hours later. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why hast you forsaken me? And when some of the bystanders heard it, they began saying, behold, he is calling for Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put on a reed and gave him a drink, saying, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. Ignorant people. In their ignorance. And perhaps the most painful time of Christ's payments on the cross, in their ignorance, they make such statements. Because at this time, somehow within the divine Godhead, there was a separation that had never occurred at all of eternity. As there was a separation that occurred that you and I, in some ways that we, we can never comprehend. But that within the Godhead, the Father and the Son were somehow separated. You see, the, the real agony of dying without knowing Christ as your Savior is hell. It's part of it, but that's not the real thing. The real thing is that you and I have been created to have relationship with God. But when we reject God and don't put our faith and trust in Christ for eternity, what we face is eternal separation from God, whom is the only one who can ever fulfill your longings in life. And so the agony of those who will die without Christ is that they will die never knowing God. Never being in relationship with God, being eternally separated from him forever. And Christ faced that for us. It goes on, verse 37. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. 
the words here undoubtedly what uh, is is recorded in John chapter 19, verse 30. It is finished. To tell us die. Which really means to bring to an end or it's the idea of it's paid in full. His last words, he said, I've done it. I've paid it. And as you, we have just contemplated the judgment and we've contemplated the reality of dying without Christ and the separation. We ought to contemplate these words. And in the midst of the soberness of this scene, what it ought to do into us is begin to well up this bit of, of gratitude. And thanks. Because it's paid for. The reality is when uh, I go to heaven, when I ask the EE diagnostic question of why should God let me into heaven? My answer is because it is finished. And you, Christ, finished it for me. And I trust in you. That's my answer. It would do no good to tell him that I was a pastor. It will do no good to tell him I went to church since the day I was born. It will do no good to tell him that I'm a good person and I've done a lot of good things. But to tell us die, it's paid for. It's finished. That's my answer. And in verse 38, it, it, it says something really, this is cool, guys. And the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, it's easy right there. You're like, well, that's neat. Let's go on. But don't stop there for a second. This veil, the temple was the because in, in the temple, you got you to understand that there was this system, this complex system of of, of of barriers of keeping you from getting to the place of the holy of holies. If you go back to the the temple system, I mean, they they had their outer courts, which you know everyone could come to that, and then they had their 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 women's courts, which only pure Jews could enter into, and then they had the court of Israel, where only Jewish men could go to, and then the court of priests, and so they kept narrowing the bunch. And then inside the temple, they they have the temple, but inside of it, they have the Holy of Holies. And this Holy of Holies is is separated by a veil. Now, this this isn't any veil. It's not like these little things that we pull out here. This thing was 19 feet high. All right. 60 feet wide. And the thickness of it was the thickness of a man's hand. Okay, so it wasn't just like, oh, we haven't attended to this. And this just ripped all of a sudden. Okay. But God in his in supernaturally ripped it apart. And so what is he saying? What is the message? What is the sign by this? And the sign is this, is that through Christ's death, through his payments that is finished, is that he tore that veil for you and I. That is, he opened up the way to the Holy of Holies. He opened up the way to relationship with God that we would no longer have to be separated But he opened up it wide. And guess what? He doesn't close it either. Because I know you, because I know myself. We haven't stopped sinning, have we? We still struggle with that thing. 
Some of you all right now, you're feeling pretty guilty about stuff you've done in the past or maybe stuff you've done today. There's a wonderful verse in First John. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Then it goes on to tell us how we have an advocate. And our advocate is Jesus Christ. And so every time that we sin and the devil likes to come in and say, well, how could you have done that? Jesus steps up, steps out front and says, I've taken care of that. Father, I've taken care of this sin. They're mine. But you know what I like to do? I like to go and I like to take that big old veil and I like to get out my big old sewing kit and I like to try to sew it back up again. Oh, I can't have access with God. I want you to contemplate the cross, folks. Christ tore that thing wide open. And you have access with the Holy God because of a perfect Savior. Won't forget that. There's a story told of a of a Hebrew scholar, Dr. John Duncan, in Edinburgh, Scotland. He was sitting one day at, at a communion service in, in, in the church in the Highland region of Scotland. And at the time, he was feeling so unpersonally unworthy. And at the time, as we're going to do here in a few moments, the, the communion plate was being passed along. And he felt so unworthy, not so much that he had, he had, he had sinned at that time, but he just thought about the, the gross iniquity in his life and the transgressions in his life. And he just felt, I cannot partake of this. And so he let it pass by. And as the, the, the room was quiet, he, he, he later heard, he could hear in the congregation, a, a girl in the congregation who, as the bread and the wine came around, she just began to break down in tears. I wish we did that more when we thought about communion. But this, this young girl broke down in tears and all of a sudden, it, it, it struck this professor, this Hebrew scholar, what the communion was all about. And then in kind of a, a whisper that carried itself across the, the, the whole congregation, he, he said this, Take it, Lassie. Take it. It's meant for sinners. We've got to remember that. That Christ tore that veil to make a way for us unholy, sinful people to have access to a holy God. Last it says here in verse 39, when the centurion who was standing right in front of him, he saw the way he breathed his last. And he said this, Truly, this man was the son of God. You imagine this centurion. He, he had heard everything that was going on, I, I would presume. Perhaps he was with them the whole way, all the way to Golgotha. Maybe he even partook in, in the putting him on the cross or ordering the soldiers to do it, most likely. And he had heard the things he had heard Christ utter, forgive them for they know not what they do. He had heard him cry out to the Father. 
Why hast thou forsaken me? He heard him cry, it is finished. He had seen the wonderful, the wondrous signs that happens. And in his heart, he goes, truly, this must have been the son of God. And see, that's the place that we have to come. And maybe you haven't come there yet. But as you contemplate the cross, it's wonderful to hear these things that Christ accomplished for us. But there has to be a place where you come that you are in understanding that you are in need of that Savior, Jesus Christ. And that that's not just any man, but that is the Son of God. He is a man. He is fully God and he is fully man. It's not just anyone. But he's the Lord. And you have to come to a place where you admit those things and you confess those things. And when you do that. Then you can truly come and contemplate the cross of Christ. You can come and you can put yourself in that picture and you can begin to realize, you know what? I am a sinner, but I have a savior. And that savior has paid the price for me and he has moved the separation between me and a holy God. And he wasn't just any savior because as Grant will talk about this Sunday. He's still alive. He's still active today. As you contemplate the cross, where are you? Does the cross of Jesus Christ, does it move you? Has it changed your life? pray that God we come and Lord we come with a mixture of soberness but Lord I hope also a mixture of extreme gratitude when we ponder what you our Savior Jesus Christ has done for us Lord, may we not go out of here and be the same. Lord, if we're an unbeliever and we've never put our faith, we've never come to the point where we realize we're a sinner in need of a Savior, and that that Savior is truly the Son of God, Jesus Christ. If we've never put our faith and trust in Christ alone, I pray that today will be the time that one repents of their sin and puts their faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone. And Lord, if we have already become one of your children, I pray, Lord, that we will go out and we will think more deeply about your cross. And that be something that is commonplace to us, Lord, but is something that moves us to deeper communion with you. A communion of gratefulness and thankfulness. So that you might be glorified and you might be praised. It's in Jesus' name.
Amen. So in the same spirit of worship, deep reflection, contemplation, meditation upon Jesus and him crucified on our behalf, we're going to share in communion together. Now, you do not need to be a member of Fellowship Bible Church to be able to share in this remembrance time and ceremony. But you absolutely must truly know Christ as your Savior and your Lord. The Bible actually warns to never treat communion lightly. And if you are not a believer, to actually not partake. But if you're not truly knowing Christ this evening, this is your night. And so in this time of quietness, place your trust in him. And for all of us who do know the Savior, now that the words are flowing through our hearts and our head, let us use it as a time of confessing any sin the Spirit might just bring to our mind. Things we haven't handled correctly, thoughts, irreverence, whatever it might be, let us confess it before the Lord. Experience His cleansing. And to walk in the joy of knowing that it is finished and He's paid it all. After the men pass out these elements in just a few minutes, we will share in them together. We've been thinking pretty significantly and deeply about the cross. Do you know who thought about it eternally? Jesus. He had been contemplating this and knowing that in order for redemption to not only be revealed to humanity, but to be accomplished, he must endure the cross as prophesied. Not just the physical pain, but the complete breakdown of fellowship something he had never known. And knowing this, just hours before the event took place, he said these words, and we are to think of them and to actually do as he said. He said, for Paul wrote this, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, a night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Paul wrote, for as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So let us pray. Lord, this has been such a magnificent, significant time for us. A time to draw ever so close to the great reality of our life. That we who are sinners have been redeemed. Our life has been purchased from the pit. We have been taken from death and darkness and despair. And you have transferred us into the kingdom of the beloved son. And all this is made possible because Jesus 
paid it all. So, Lord, may we always live in light of the cross. May we take our troubles and our burdens, our triumphs and our trials to you, Lord, who has truly paid for it all and made the way of authentic relationship with you. So, Lord, we love you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Aren't you glad you came tonight? Was there a better hour of the week than one that we just had? Thinking deeply of Jesus, worshiping him from the heart, having the word open, expounded, being able to share communion together, be able to walk out of this room knowing that Jesus has not only paid it all, but he's risen. And so between the moment you leave until this You come back on Sunday morning at 1030. Let us just keep thinking about Jesus. Let it well up in your heart. Him who has died on our behalf and has risen. And so the next time we gather, let us sing from the depth of our heart. Worship to the Lamb who is risen indeed.